Are you ready for some nosy bitches? Because this is about to get explicit. Hey, bitches. Hey, friends. Hey, Carla. How you doing? Hey, Michael. How are you doing? It's been a day. So excited to have you during this hour. We have extroverted a lot this week. And so, Michael, thanks for giving me a little bit more extroversion out of you. (laughs) So my day job, we had a team summit, which was a ton of fun. Like, so, so stinking much fun. It's one of my favorite parts of my day job is to do stuff like that. And you're so right, extroversion to the max. And so I was a little tired. But, like, it's been fun hanging out with you. We had some charcuterie tonight. It was good. We did the things we caught up on life. Thank you guys for joining us. Thank you for all of the support we've had. Like Over 1,500 listens, Carla. Yes. Like just crazy. You have been absolutely incredible. It's growing a little bit. So we've been hearing from more of you, especially on social media. Thank you. We want to hear all of the ideas. We've got quite the backlog of things uh, to think about recording. And we just love getting to interact with you all. The most fun part of having a podcast. I totally agree. So if you are listening to us on either Apple or Spotify, there's some little star buttons. So if you'll just hit that, you can leave a few comments about your favorite host. Please review, rate, do the things, help us out with the algorithm gods. And by the way, what you get out of that is that's just going to enable us to do more of this for you. We will talk at the microphones, tell you what we have to say, give you our unsolicited feedback, and you will get to be part of the conversation. And that sounds like a win-win. This case. Oh yeah, what do we have on the docket today, Carla? First of all, I just want to say thank you to Lisa, who actually messaged us almost as soon as we had created our socials and suggested the Lacey Peterson case. Oh, Lacey Peterson. I've got lots of feelings on this one. I think a lot of people do. I thought John Bonet had feelings. This one, however, has elicits a lot of feelings. It is a very, very emotional case. So much so that I think that in order to really give it credit, we have to first talk about the facts of the case, which will provide some background on Lacey and Scott. And we'll be sure to tell you along the way that like, this is the story that we're hearing about something. This might be some of the rumors that we're hearing about it. But we really want to lay out that this is the facts. This is what happened. And then let's talk about, probably in the next episode, if he did it or if he didn't do it. Ooh, I like that. I like that a lot. Because I think in the early 2000s when this happened, people felt very strong, like very strong that he did it. 100%. I was growing up. I grew up thinking that Scott Peterson did this. Similar to the John Bonet case, and I think we're going to see a lot of parallels as you lead us down this roadmap of what happened in the Peterson case. The media spun it a certain way. And now I feel like more modernly, it's there started to come forth some information that you're like, well, but did he? Yeah, there was a uh, documentary that came out a couple of years ago, actually maybe read right about five years ago now. Yeah. And I just rewatched it. And I remember watching it in 2017 when it came out. It's called The Murder of Lacey Peterson. You can find it on Hulu. It's in partnership with his family. So like we did with like John Bonet, that was in partnership with her family. Especially like his sister was really involved yes. in that, right? Yeah. They're really trying to look at it. And they do try to lay out the facts of what happened. And then some things that people didn't look at that the case could have been a little bit more circumstantial, actually, and that the majority of us focused on his affair 
and the fact that kind of made him a shitty husband and said, hey, you killed your pregnant wife. That's some of what you're going to hear in this timeline, right? This is not like us in the next episode talking about his possible guilt or innocence. None of that takes away from the fact that during this case and the, the facts about what he was doing, his behavior that came out during this investigation, I'm not trying to give Scott Peterson a husband of the year award. He's not a good dude. He did some really shady, shitty things, period. While there are two sides to every story, the law has spoken as it stands for right now. So whether or not Carla or Michael think that he's innocent, he was found guilty. And so when we talk about Scott being guilty, either in this episode or in the next episode, it is because the law has placed guilt on him, not because Carla or Michael has. Again, we're not lawyers. We're just podcasters. He was found guilty of killing both Lacey and Connor Peterson. Mm. So since that ruling, though, he has been allowed to appeal this decision and future appeals are still being held. And I think there there will come a day before Christmas that you and I will update on this case because I think the judge has until December 15th to decide if he gets a new trial. Yeah. They overturned his death sentence. That's right. And so now they're going to decide our future appeals. There's actually been a couple of podcasts recently that have been talking about, and I listened to two. One very much said... He is guilty and all the reasons why. And the other one said he's innocent. And they both laid out, you know, what I felt like were good reasons behind it. So for all that to say, depending on where you listen to it, depends on kind of where you walk away. But what we hope to do today is to give you more of the facts behind it. And then we'll let you be the judge. I love it. Let's dive in, Carla. Let's do it. So Lacey... Roca Peterson. Oh, I love that name. I hope I'm pronouncing it right. Rocha? Don't come at us. Rosha? Rosha. You're right. You're Is right. Is it? Well, I've heard Lacey? it both ways. So Yeah, I do think it's more Lacey Rocha Peterson. Was born to Sharon and Dennis Rocha. She does have an older brother, Brent. She was born May 4th, 1974. Her parents had a dairy farm in Escalon, California. Sharon and Dennis, they got married very young and started having babies at a really early age. And really, just due to their young ages, Sharon and Dennis decide to divorce when the kids are young. Ugh. It seems to be amicable for the most part. I will say in preparation for this, not only did I watch all the documentaries, but I also read Sharon does a memoir, Lacey's Mother, about Lacey's life her marriage to Scott, and then everything that happened afterwards. That's where I got a lot of the information on how, like, Lacey grew up. It's a really sweet book. And you can tell written by a mother who absolutely adores both of her children, but absolutely adored her daughter, for sure. Yeah. Sharon would later marry Ron Gransky, and he would be the stepfather and help raise both Brent and Lacey. Lacey can be described as a very bright and energetic young lady, She was a cheerleader in middle and high school. She had very close friends that would continue to be her friend throughout her entire life. Her friends and family jokingly called her JJ, which was short for Jabber Jaws. Carla, were you related? So I do feel like that is something that Lacey and I can connect. I love it about you. (laughs) Yeah. As her mom was describing her, I definitely could see myself 
and reminded me of like my daughter. Yes. Every teacher sent home notes that like Lacey talked too much. <laughs> she was a wonderful child, but she could not shut her mouth. That's right. Also, I'll say that it's really easy to do after somebody passes away to constantly talk about how they were perfect. And, and Lacey's mom does say, like, she wasn't perfect. But when people talk about Lacey, they really do talk about what a wonderful person. She was very smart. She was very energetic. She was really, like, full of life and really seemed like this personality that so many people would be really attracted to. I feel like that's part of why this case became so compelling and famous to begin with, right? This is not the first pregnant woman that has been killed so it's it's not that it was the fact that it was this charismatic beautiful person that just lit up the room sort of thing and had a big personality and family that really really cared about her when this happened to her so yeah that jibes with me when if you think about like she had friends from when she was like really little until she was older and i think about like how hard as you go through life, like each phase of your life, and to carry friends that you had in like elementary or middle school all the way into your early 30s or into your late 20s, just like really shows to what type of a personality you have and how you're easygoing and how that friendship changes throughout. That was definitely things as I read that I took away from it. Lacey, like most young girls, Lacey would fall in love and have her heart broke. Her mom recounts a boyfriend that Lacey had near the end of high school, and his name was Kent, and her mother did not approve. So it is without a doubt that Lacey's kind of spicy, a little bit fiery personality, she definitely got from her mother, and her mom really just didn't approve of this boyfriend, always felt like there was something off about him. Lacey was very smart and determined young lady. In her younger years of being raised on a dairy farm began her long love of plants and animals, including like bugs and insects and all those things that come with it. So, oh, Lacey Peterson, I'm so on that journey right now. I feel that literally as Carla and I are recording this, we have chickens just in the other room because we have baby chicks right now. I didn't know this about Lacey. That's so, that's cool. Yeah, she absolutely loved all things plants and animals and insects. One of her favorites was definitely a dragonfly and ladybugs. Her family and friends would recall taking delight in future sightings of dragonflies whenever thinking of her. I want to be friends with her. This love for plants would encourage her to dream about jobs in horticulture. As she prepared to graduate high school and head to college, her mom worried about this boyfriend, I think like most moms do, who didn't seem to really share the ambition as Lacey. I think about this from a mom's perspective much more with my daughter maybe than I would with my son, right? I want this really strong-willed, ambitious daughter of mine to go burn the world down. But I don't want this man who maybe might not have as much ambition as her to be trailing behind her. Yes. Where I might be more okay if my son was burning the world down and his spouse or partner or whoever was a little bit behind and i don't know that probably makes me horribly sexist for whatever the reason um so or just I, like the rest of us adhering to some traditional gender roles yeah like, that's fine well and it's because i guess as a woman i don't want anyone to hold you back i want you to just be that power couple 
her mother shared those exact same things, those exact same fears as Lacey went off to college. Like most moms and daughters about most things, Lacey and her mom would butt heads over the boyfriend. They even had a few nights that they didn't even talk. And so they had a very close relationship. This really bothered Sharon. And I think that like Lacey actually left the house and was gone for a few nights. And Sharon was heartbroken over it. And she was like, you know what? I have to let Lacey live her life. And I have to know that I have raised this child to be smart And she needs to be in control of her life and she needs to make decisions. And I would say that, Sharon, you made the right decision. So for any parent out there who has teenagers who are, you know, 15, 16, 17, they are just a few short years away from making all decisions and being legally responsible for those decisions. So start teaching them now to start making those decisions. Yeah, I can't speak to that from the parent's point of view, but from like the kid's point of view, those were the moments when I was closest with my parents where I felt like they just trusted me to go out and make some good decisions. And when you're all up in my business, that's when I'm going to be like Lacey and I'm just going to be like, peace out. We ain't talking for a few days. Love you, mean it. Yeah, that's exactly the way that they react. And honestly, it's probably the way that you should react so that your parent realizes your boundaries. Sharon, like most good moms, says, you know what, Lacey? You are in control of your own life, and I'm going to let you live it. Lacey attended California Polytech State University, and her mom got to share with her all those joys of seeing her off to college, going and finding her apartment, going shopping. And like most mothers, we end up correct. And Kent did eventually end, and it ended without incident. It's interesting to note, though, Kent would later shoot his living girlfriend during an argument. So the girlfriend would live. And this was something that like Sharon had picked up. Cause remember she always felt like there was something off about it. That's him. right. And she felt like he had a little bit of an anger issue, but she hadn't seen it really play out. So it was more of like the ambition thing. And then he seemed a little sharp to tongue. He actually got sentenced to prison for 15 years for that attempted murder. Sharon, you were right. You were feeling the vibes of the universe. Good girl, protect that daughter. <laughs> How crazy is that though if you just think about here's this young lady who's on this really good path to me it's like coming close to the sun and not getting burned it also just feels like weird foreboding right like not only did she come close to encountering this darker side of this man before but of course we know this next case you know if scott did do it like you encountered two assholes in one lifetime i'm sorry girl i'm sorry that's what i thought too is this a pattern. Is she just attracted to that kind of guy? Oh, yeah, I don't know. So here in this college town that she was living in, Lacey would meet Scott Peterson. She frequented a restaurant where Scott worked with one of her friends, and Lacey would actually be the one to make the first move. Get it, girl. Of That's course. right. You, you don't got to wait for your man. That's right. She <laughs> gives him her phone number, and it didn't take long after for Lacey and Scott to officially start dating. In her mom's memoir, she recalls that Lacey called her and immediately was smitten with Scott. Her mom recalls Lacey loved him from Jump Street. He was very handsome, by the way. He and was, if he was Dean King. And if he was... Half as charming is what some people say. Like, I, I get it. I can completely imagine just being like, swoon. He was very handsome. 
her mom said that like she came down to meet Scott. He was very charming. He really seemed like a nice guy. The only thing that she was a little bit hesitant in was that Scott had quit college and he hadn't started back yet. And she was waiting for that to happen. Like, like back to the ambition thing yeah, with the last the guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And would he actually follow through? Or was that just something that he was telling Lacey? And she just was so in love. So she didn't want to break that from her. She didn't want Lacey to get distracted from finishing school herself. So that's a big motivation you can tell for Sharon is that she wants her daughter to be very successful and to be independent. And because Sharon herself got married very young and fell in love and had kids, there's probably a little bit of that own like self-regret that maybe she didn't live the life that she thought she was going to and wanting that to be different for Lacey. Which I love that, right? That's a good mama bear right there. Just wanting the best for your daughter. Go be the powerful woman I raised you to be. The relationship really does seem to be going very well. And very soon, the couple moves in together. Let me tell you a little bit of background about Scott Peterson. Scott Peterson was born October 24th, 1974 in San Diego, California to Lee and Jackie Peterson. Both had previous children. And interestingly enough, too, that Jackie had given up for adoption. Scott was their only child together. Scott actually grew up in a wealthier child home. So his dad owned a very successful crate packaging company and his mother owned a boutique. I did hear a story a little bit more about his mom, Jackie, and her background. It doesn't seem that she came from such a wealthy upbringing. She had a rougher start to life. And so her first two children, she gave up for adoption. And then as she began to have others, but actually Scott grew up and didn't know that he had older siblings. So somewhere in his older life, I want to think it may be in his early twenties is when he found his, both his brother and sister and they came back into the fold. So a little bit of background about his mom there. Scott was actually an avid golfer growing up. And at one point he was one of the top junior golfers in San Diego. See, and they had to be wealthy for him to be able to afford that. Golf is (laughs) so expensive. It's ridiculous, those clubs. Scott would go to Arizona State with the hopes of playing golf. There were some rumors on what happened that year that Scott went to Arizona State. But facts are that Scott would not finish the first year there and transferred and eventually did go back to California Polytech, of course, which is where Lacey was attending. He ended up majoring in agribusiness. So that kind of went along with her horticulturist. Yeah. See, yep. And was a model student. So, okay, here's where the rumor plays in. So apparently Scott, and I wish I could remember what the guy's name is, and I didn't write it down, but he was a very successful young golfer that was also joining the golf team. And he must have come from really wealthy family. But Scott and this young man go out like most college kids and they party and there might have been some strip clubs and some ladies and some, all the things, right? They have a great- Young and dumb. That's yeah, right. young and dumb. And I guess the dad was really upset about this. And so he asked the coach to- Scott's dad or the other guy's dad? The other guy's dad. The other guy's dad, okay. And he actually asked the coach to get rid of Scott. He feels like Scott would not be a good influence on his son and does not want him on the golf team. And whether or not that this guy was either a better player, he obviously was more wealthy. Or like you said, yeah, like maybe daddy gave some money to the school- 
kind yep. of thing. So okay. that's the rumor on why Scott did not finish at Arizona State. So I don't know that he necessarily was asked to leave Arizona State, but I think he was kicked off the golf team. And so eventually, like, he didn't want to stay there because he Because his whole do... point of going there was to play golf. Okay. Right. And so, again, like, this is just the rumor, but it did it felt in line. And it also, to me, did not feel fair to Scott. No. They're college kids. Seriously, if that's the worst thing someone does in college, hashtag winning. Like, you've done just fine. Yeah, I feel like all college kids are doing that kind of thing. I will say, though, that growing up, his parents and his family member, you know, he was the baby. They called him Golden Boy. I do wonder, this is, again, my own biases, and you're going to call me on it, and I hope you do. <laughs> it did make me kind of scrunch my nose up a little bit that maybe Scott was a little bit of a mama's boy. I mean, I definitely have feelings about that, right? Like, I feel like for whatever it's worth, because I've definitely been labeled a mama's boy before, and I don't like it because it's like, I do love my mother. She birthed as me you, and raised as me. As you should. <laughs> but I also just feel like it's this way of painting someone that, like, I feel like what we're actually seeing in Scott has nothing to do with him being a mama's boy. It's that the world has kind of opened up to him, right? And in a way that almost feels unfairly good. He was attractive. He was charming. He was successful. He came from a nicer family that didn't have it as rough. I feel like that's probably more what make people kind of scrunch their nose. Him being close to his mom, I don't know. I just, I don't like that whole stereotyping. See, I knew Michael would set me straight. Thank you, Michael, for that. I got you. I got you. That's all I'm saying. Because it's okay to be weird about the other things. We all had that classmate that it just seemed like the whole world was their fucking oyster. There was nothing wrong with them. I didn't dislike that person. But it's like, could I have just half that luck? There is some things that get said that Scott's mom, Jackie, doesn't like or doesn't think that Lacey is good enough for her son. That kind of plays into a little bit that Scott might be a mama's boy. But just because your mother maybe overly loves you doesn't necessarily mean that you put up with that or that you let her behave. And that to me, that's a mama's boy. Is a is someone who lets their wife or their family get disrespected? But I, I don't think we saw some of that. No, I get loving your son fiercely. So as we stated above, Lacey and Scott... They date about two years before they move in, which I think that's a good... Uh, that feels very healthy. That feels like a very healthy time Thomas frame. Thomas and I were like a year and a half. I don't know that we should be comparing ourselves just yet. <laughs> You're so funny. <laughs> You're right. Maybe maybe trying to compare to this case is not the ideal. <laughs> just not sure about it. <laughs> so the couple eventually marries in 1997. Her mother would play out that the wedding was beautiful and how incredibly happy that both Lacey and Scott were. She says that even to this day, she will rewatch their wedding videos and that she can do it now and not feel so sad about it. Truly embraced in the fact that they were really incredibly happy. And not only that, but like it was the first time that she really felt that she saw Scott truly happy. Not long after getting married, the couple would face their first trial and tribulations as a married couple. Lacey had been offered a job in a different town. She, of course, has graduated college at this point. And Scott, who had went back to college, was finishing his senior year. Lacey would move for work and travel back to visit her husband. So in this time frame, it is rumored, big rumor, that Scott would engage in at least one affair. And so the story from his roommates, from Scott says that the girl actually walked in on him and Lacey. 
And one of his roommates would tell the girl who was very upset by it, actually, like, he's not cheating on you. That's his wife. He was actually cheating with you. That's right. It's interesting because Scott will say, and his roommates would say, this is a very true story. Lacey's family would say that this story is not true. And some of this plays in later on whether or not you believe that Lacey knew, forgave him, never told anyone about it. And it comes into later play about would Lacey know about future affairs and how she might react to them. I just, I'll insert a little bit of my thinking here. And this is purely my opinion. And I know that it goes against popular culture and popular thought on this. I, I don't want my partner to cheat on me. I'm not encouraging this. And I feel like I'm probably more tolerant of it than the average bear. In my lens of view, if... We've been together five years, and I find out that you had some stupid night in Lake Tahoe one time. That means you have a 99.9% perfect record. And if we've built this beautiful life together, and so much about our relationship is right, am I going to just damn this relationship over you doing something stupid that, by the way, didn't even have anything to do with feelings? It was just physical, and it's this very primal thing that I think all of us feel. All of us feel sexual attraction to other people, not just the people that we are married to and all of that. So for whatever it's worth, and I don't know, like you said, this is all rumors. None of this is completely confirmed. I just will say that if I'm in Lacey's shoes and I feel like so much about our relationship works and I find out that you've occasionally been an idiot, you're going to hear about it. I'm going to make sure you know I'm not happy about it. I'm not necessarily going to end the relationship, especially if you have shown sincere regret for having done that. So I think I can get on board really mainly because they're still pretty young at this point. Young and dumb, right? They're like like in their early 20s, especially Lacey is. She's in her early 20s. This is a marriage that has literally just taken off. They've only been together a couple of years. Yes. So I could see a world where even a personality as strong as mine – could forgive someone in this type of setting to say like, you know what? You were young. Like we're, we're dumb right now. Like, okay, don't do it again. Like kind of situation, especially if you think that there's, they're separated by time and distance. And I don't think it's a huge separation, but it's still a separation Yeah. for whatever it's worth. My opinion, Lacey knows about this affair. I don't know. And I wouldn't be surprised about the future affairs either. Because again, if we're talking like a 99% positive rate, I'm just going by, I'm a data-driven guy. I'm going by percentages here. Future relationship at that point, you've been together five years and this happens three times. That's literally over a 99% positive rate. It's taken 11 episodes, but it's finally happened that Carla and Michael do not always agree. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) I love that about us. Fuck, I need 100%. (laughs) No, I'm just, I do. Maybe I'm wrong. No, 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 I do. But you know what? I love that perspective. And the reason I really do love it is I think sometimes we really get caught up in this affair thing. That's right. Like I'm we, not saying it's not bad. I'm just yeah. like, let's put it in perspective. That's all I'm trying to say. I suggest. just think like in, in, in a ton of different cultures, and t- they would not say that having an affair and killing your wife puts you in the same room. No, not at all. In America. Yeah, ask the French. Right. <laughs> ask the Italians. That's right. <laughs> 100%. You are guilty of both things. And I'm not sure that I'm not out of that same room. I think I'm closer to the door, but I'm not sure that I'm out the door yet. So I yeah, do yeah. love that perspective. 
even if I don't, even if I think it's, this is the hardest one because I don't know what to think. Yeah. We'll get into this later and especially next episode a lot more. I don't want our opinions about Scott Peterson's guilt in this particular case. Like to me, someone that expresses behavior of infidelity does not a killer make. It's great perspective. Even if he's wrong. (laughs) (laughs) So we'll chalk it up. They're in their early 20s. Whether it happened or not, they end up opening this small but very successful restaurant in this college area. And even though business was doing very good, it's the restaurant business. It's a very long, grueling work hours. And this is a young couple. And they really start to decide that they're wanting to start a family. And it just doesn't fit into their plans. You're working 14, 15-hour days. Easy. And you know that at this restaurant, you've got to be given up every single weekend. You're responsible for it. It's yours. You're not just an employee in someone else's restaurant. Well, and like, let's think about if it's college. Like, it's 2, 3 a.m. That's right. In October of 2000, they buy a cute bungalow house, which is three bedrooms, two baths, on Covina Avenue, in upscale neighborhood in East La Loma Park. They, Get it, Scott and Lacey. Yeah. Good job. Actually, if you guys are interested, the house is for sale again. Right, oh, right now. There you go. Nosy bitches. Go yeah. bid. <laughs> Scott's parents helped them put a down payment of the house. Because if you notice, I said in an upscale neighborhood. And remember, they're, you know, they're just slightly out of college. So they're still broke. This is one point where before any of the horror happens, I just have to be like, this had to be a moment of pride for Sharon, who had some doubts, but Scott went back to school. He's now helping her daughter open a successful restaurant. Having a small business is not an easy feat, especially as two young people. Like, man, if I'm their parents, I would be so proud of them right now. Like, good job for making something out of that That's a very valid point. Like, we know that Lacey is very smart, but I think this goes to say that Scott, Scott is, was putting in some work too. Yeah, he's very smart and he's successful. And he is a little bit charismatic for what it's worth. And it is interesting to note that like when people recall Scott and Lacey together, they have nothing but nice things to say. They don't right. talk about, oh, they fought or anything like that. There's a lot of really nice things that people are saying about Scott. He was a very agreeable person. So they did end up selling this restaurant in April of 2001. So a little bit after they bought the house, they sold the business. And when they bought that house, they officially moved to Modesto, California. And Scott would be a fertilizer salesman and Lacey would work as a part-time substitute teacher. So Modesto is where her mom and her stepdad, Ron, are living. So, and this is where Lacey grew up. So Lacey is beside herself happy she's with her family and she's with those friends that she's had since she was in elementary school yeah and they do talk about like these years they will treasure and cherish forever these memories that they made when they first moved into that house of having people over and cooking that's one thing too about Lacey and scott peterson you kind of always see when you see pictures of them they're holding up glasses of wine like they must have loved to entertain and cook, and they really had a really good wine selection. By Mother's Day of 2002, Lacey would talk to her mom about getting pregnant. So I think it's important to add, Lacey had had a surgery as a child, and she actually had a tumor removed, and that ended up having one of her ovaries removed. Oh, goodness. Yeah, it was a really scary time, and of course, you know, as her mom recalled it. But Lacey worried if she would 
be able to get pregnant since she was only had one ovary. And the both of them, her and Scott, had talked about what it would, like what the challenge could be if they did have issues getting pregnant. And they both decided to move forward and do whatever work was necessary if they weren't able to conceive on their own. But luckily, they didn't need to worry. Lacey woke her mom up early with a very excited phone call that she was pregnant. Her parents would talk through the joy they shared, but also worry. Pregnancies are very scary. There's all sorts of things that can go wrong, not only with the woman, but definitely too with the fetus. But number one killer of pregnant women, all the things that can go wrong. What's the number one thing that can go wrong? Murder. Listen to what that is. That tells you that when a woman is pregnant, especially, now in this case, she wasn't in an abusive relationship. That's right. But especially when they're in a relationship that isn't safe, just know that the statistics, the math tells you that women are not safe. Just the facts, ma'am. Just the facts. And it's so interesting because as a mom, but I remember when I was pregnant, like my mom being very worried and saying that like how she loved all of her grandchildren the same. But that really that it sits with you when it's your daughter who is pregnant and then it's like the literal splitting of your heart. And so I think too, probably some foreboding that Sharon immediately was very worried and she almost like couldn't place why she was so worried. But I mean, she had had misgivings about Scott from the beginning. And even though we've had this, these instances to maybe restore some faith, like the restaurant and him going back to school. I get it. If you felt uneasy before, you're only going to feel more uneasy when you now know that there is an additional life in the mix. Absolutely. Her family and friends would talk about how Lacey was so, so excited to be pregnant. And her mom was convinced that she was pregnant actually with a girl and was completely shocked when, in fact, Lacey was having a baby boy and mm. which they decided to name Connor. I love that name too. I do too. It's funny. I guess there was a moment that they went back and forth between Logan, but then ultimately went Connor and my nephew was named Logan. So I love both names. Yeah. You can't go wrong. We get a little bit further into 2002 and we're really close to like the holidays of 2002. And you know, holidays are filled with plans of families and get togethers Lacey was about 33 weeks and was very pregnant. So it's hard to know. And this kind of, again, like this is rumor. It's hard to know how Lacey was actually feeling. Because you get different stories depending on who is telling you. But one very important character who lived with the Petersons was their dog, Mackenzie. So it's actually a boy, Mackenzie. And he was a gift from Lacey to Scott early on in their relationship. And he is a very treasured family member. He was their first baby. But the story kind of goes back and forth about whether or not Lacey was really tired leading up to December or whether or not Lacey was like doing just fine and kind of trucking through. In the weeks leading up to Christmas, Scott and Lacey would go to Disneyland with his family. Even though Lacey was really pregnant and theme parks are well exhausting. Even when you're not pregnant. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, who voted for the pregnant woman to go to Disneyland? I mean, doesn't everyone want to go to Disneyland? That's true. So she would tell her mom that Scott pushed her around in a wheelchair, so she didn't have to do very much walking. But that's what they're doing in these weeks leading up. 
Here are some important facts to point out. These are not rumors. These are the facts. In November, Scott Peterson meets Amber Fry and says that he's single. They begin an intimate relationship. On December 2nd, they hang out with each other and her daughter. He stayed the night and they saw each other again the next night on December 3rd. I'm going to hold my judgment on the fact that he met her daughter on their second date. Well, and I just, I think the meeting the daughter thing really does strike me as weird. I'm just saying that there's a difference between simply cheating and now meeting the family of your mistress. Like that just feels really weird. Like why is he so invested on the second date? Like every cheating person says I'm single, but to lean into meeting the child of who you're cheating with, I don't know. That that makes me feel all sorts of icky. Yeah, I have all the feelings and I'm like really trying to hold judgment. That's, that's I just, really, really shitty and really bold. And also just, it's not a good look. Like, what are you thinking? Like, are you really going to start some second life with this person? Why are you meeting her child? That I don't get it. See, and I just appreciate the fact that you immediately are like, Scott, what are you doing? Because like, I'm like, Amber, what are you doing? Why would you let some stranger meet your child? I'm just trying, like, I want to understand it from his perspective a little bit too because i think so much of this has been and by the way rightfully so there has been such a big focus on lacy and her family and and what was taken from them i'm trying to get into psychology of okay i'm a man that i love the woman that i'm with i i know i have a good life but i still want something else in here that is very different from a behavior that's like you don't meet someone's child often when you're starting to date them new until like 10, 20 dates in, that's a big deal. And just to treat it that flippantly, I just don't, I've been able to understand his perspective up until this point. This point, like you meet her child on the second date, that seems really fucked up. I no longer understand where you're coming from, Scott. Thank you for coming to my side. Well, I don't know about that, but (laughs) I just like, this is the first time that I'm like, instead of just, ooh, I'm like, ooh. I like it. No, I have all the feelings about it, so I'm glad that you have some feelings about it. So he stays a night. They saw each other again the next night on December 3rd. He would tell her that he had never been married, nor did he have any children. They then see each other again about a week later, so December 9th. He would tell a friend of theirs, Sean Sibley, that he had been married, but his first wife died oh fuck no and this was his first christmas without her sky you're not making this easy buddy and i just want to say these are facts this is not a rumor that he said this these are facts these are recorded facts by the way like he doesn't just say this one time he says this multiple times they see each other again december 11th and they attend a birthday party together the last time that they would see each other would be december 14th though that they would continue to talk on the phone. So Scott tells her that for Christmas, he's going to be in Maine, and then he's going to be in Europe for New Year's. And so essentially, like, he lays it out, hey, for the next six weeks, I'm going to be really busy traveling. I'm going to be in Maine. I'm going to be in Europe. And so I may not be able to see you. But in reality, it's the holidays. His wife is pregnant. I'm assuming sometime in there she's going to have a baby. It does make you think that he's trying to set her up for this distance. And maybe essentially he's starting to separate himself. It's hard to say. 
But they do continue to talk on the telephone throughout this. And I will say that during the birthday party that they attended, it's also fact that Lacey attended her Christmas party by herself. And so like, that just doesn't feel good. It also... Doesn't mean he's a murderer. Here's something else I'll insert here. I don't think that it's unusual for especially men to before a major life event, like a marriage or before having a baby, to have this kind of crisis of one's life and be like am i really doing this i'm really about to be a a father i'm really about to be a husband there's no turning back at this point holy shit i don't know that it's unusual for people i know even as i've just gotten a little bit older when i turned 35 i had this moment of is this really where i'm at 35 so in the midst of him having this tryst this affair that i disagree with but trying to just get into his head a little bit, can understand this idea of I'm getting a little bit older. I'm married now for several years. I'm getting ready to have a kid. I can understand this like pushback of rebelling internally. I don't know if I'm ready for all of that. That just feels very different than talking about your wife is dead. Like it's one thing. This is back to what I said earlier. Every cheater claims they're single. You don't have to be telling all these stories. It's just not a good look. Like, I don't know how else to say it. In light of what we know happened later, like, what the fuck? That doesn't look good. So it was reported at that time that Scott took out a life insurance policy on Lacey. Oh, no, he did not. Yeah, and this would be like early December. So they might have had life insurance policies on one another. And I I hope that they should. Like, if you Especially if you're getting ready to have a child. That's fair. Yeah, you should. Maybe not two or three weeks before she disappears, and probably not when you're saying out loud that it's your first Christmas without your wife. But you said reported, so did this end up being true? No, this okay. is completely false. Okay. It did not happen. All right, Scott. Like, <laughs> you're not making it easy, buddy. I'm trying to play devil's advocate. <laughs> okay, okay. So not true. Yeah. So this really kind of leads us up to the events. So December 23rd, two days before Christmas, Scott and Lacey together go to her sister Amy's salon where she has her hair done. And again, it's 2002. Amy is showing her how to flip her hair. Lacey was ordering pizza for the drive and they do invite, this is important to remember, they do invite Amy to come over that night after she got off. But Amy declines because she had friends in town. So this would be the last time that Amy would see Lacey. And I will say that outside of Scott, this would be the last time that widely people report seeing Lacey. There are some reports later that they think they saw Lacey and maybe they did and maybe they didn't. But as far as like for sure, someone who knew her personally, this would be the last time that they saw Lacey. Okay. So once she gets home, and again, it's two days before Christmas, she calls her mom to discuss what they would be cooking. Lacey loved to cook all sorts of different things. And I think there was like a French toast recipe that she was trying out. And so they talked briefly and said like, hey, let's touch base the next day and like really solidify what we're going to make. Scott was supposed to go play golf and they hang up the phone. And this would actually be the last time that her mom speaks with her. I do want to throw out there because I know for me, like it's just important to know Her mom, just a few weeks before that, had a wonderful weekend with her and Scott in Carmel. And she says that she really treasures those moments because, of course, that would be the last time that she saw her daughter. And I do love that at least they were happy memories, right? Like, 
there's no closure in a case like this, not really, but that's some sense of like, at least it wasn't some big explosive fight or something. I'm glad they had some happy moments together. So what's the first thing that comes to mind when you think of Florida? I'm sure some of you will imagine soaking up the sun on one of our world-renowned beaches or cooling off in one of our refreshing natural springs. While others may imagine dancing all night at one of Miami's famous nightclubs or maybe taking in some thrills and chills at one of our many amusement parks. We may be the vacation capital of the United States, but there's a darker side to Florida, one you may not have heard of. What's up guys, I'm Joe Torino and I'm the host of the Greetings from Florida podcast. I'm a history-loving, ghost-hunting, lifelong Florido, and I want you to join me on a journey through the Sunshine State as we explore all the weird history, strange mysteries, legends, and lore that Florida has to offer. So if you think you're ready to take a walk on the weird side, then listen to Greetings from Florida with Joe Torino wherever you get your podcasts. So really, it's important to note from this moment when she hangs up with Lacey until Scott calls her and says that he thinks Lacey is missing, it comes down to which side you'd believe. So one side would tell you that this night, Scott would kill Lacey, hide her body in his toolbox in his truck, that he would take her to his warehouse where he would attach homemade anchors to her body and then drive her to the San Francisco Bay and put her overboard. Mm. Mm-hmm. He would then carry on the rest of the day in covering up this murder. Of course, Scott's perspective is, no, none of this is true. Lacey went to bed that night. She was alive. I invited her sister over for dinner. Like, why would I go home and kill her? And that she was alive the next day. That rather than golfing because it was too cold, he decides to take his boat out on its virgin voyage um, the, for the first time, and he was about one and a half hours away. He would leave Lacey that morning. She was curling her hair, and then she was going to mop and prepare food for the next day. He called her later that day to ask um, her to pick up a gift basket that he didn't get a chance to pick up, and he doesn't get a hold of her, so he leaves her a voicemail. He would return home. Lacey's car was in the driveway. The dog was in the backyard with a leash attached. He goes into the house and he thinks that his in-laws have picked up Lacey. And that's why her car is in there. He like doesn't even question it. He's like, oh, Lacey's probably just out. The he knows he's here. close. Or she's close with her mom. Like knows yeah, all of that very seems close. completely feasible in his head. I get it. Yeah, very close. He goes, puts his clothes in the wash, goes to take a shower. Like a good husband, by the way, you've been out fishing all day. Thank you for putting them in the wash. Right. I know that comes up as like a why did you do that later, but it's like no, but really, if you've if you're a fisherman, you know that is not a good look or smell. When I say like we give our we give husbands a lot of grief, but like my husband is really OCD and like way better about washing his clothes like right away and things like that than I am. I like let it build up until the pile is overflowing and then I wash it. But he's an immediately like let me go wash my clothes, and so. Maybe Scott is too. He was the baby. He's the golden boy. Like maybe this is part of his thing. I don't think it's fair to say just because he washed his clothes that immediately points him to guilty. He gets out of the shower and he realizes that he has a voicemail. And it's actually Lacey's parents calling, asking them if they would pick up whipping cream for the next day. And immediately Scott is like, wait, isn't Lacey with you? So he calls his mother-in-law and says, hey, is Lacey with you? And of course... Sharon is like, no, she's not. 
And Scott's mind then begins to wonder, right? If you you take Scott's opinion, like, whoa, Lacey's not here, but her stuff is here. Her car is here. She's not with her with her parents. Where is she at? So her mom is a little bit panicked and she's like, listen, Scott, like you need to, like Lacey is not a 13 year old kid. Like she didn't just go missing. Where is she? She's a 33 week pregnant woman. Like in her late 20s. That's right. Like she has not accidentally gone missing. Nope. Something has purposely placed her somewhere. She didn't just walk off. She isn't either intentionally somewhere or something else intentional has happened. Absolutely. So she's like. Scott, call her friends. And Scott does that. He starts to call her friends and none of them have heard from Lacey. So he calls her mom back and this is where the panic sets in. So her mom and her stepdad immediately rush over to Scott's house and they begin to look where, because at that point, like Scott puts it together. Oh, McKenzie had his leash on and he's in the backyard. Lacey walked him at some point today. Her mom's maybe something happened. Lacey, she wouldn't have just had that dog in the backyard. You left. He was in the house. So that's where her mom goes. Her stepdad calls 911 and reports Lacey missing. Scott really is trying to figure out what do I do, where do I go, and what do I do next? So Modesto police detectives John Bueller and Alan Brocini, the lead investigators that would be on the case, respond to the call. When they first arrive to the Petersons' house, Lacey's keys, wallet, her sunglasses, they're all found in her purse in the closet. The dining room was meticulously set for Christmas dinner the following night. One of the two detectives, they do find that a phone book is out on the kitchen counter, opened to a full-page ad for a defense lawyer. Ugh, A, not a good look, although B... The nosy bitch in me is wondering what was on the opposite page. Oh, that's a good thought. Yeah, I didn't think about that. Could be more defense lawyers. (laughs) Fair, 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 fair. But no, that's a very valid point. When the detectives, of course, like they do with all cases, they're looking at the husband, they're looking at people closest to her. They do say that they find him dead calm. Despite her family's like distraught reaction to her disappearance, Scott Peterson is really nonchalant demeanor. Almost like a combination of polite and arrogant is what the detectives describe it as, and that he doesn't seem to be asking them many questions or be like overly concerned about their search for it. And we've said this before with John Ramsey. That's right. Just because you don't have this overreaction doesn't immediately point you to guilty. And also just like who's giving this impression that Scott was this kind of disinterested somewhat arrogant party right and is their feeling about that truly just because of his lack of emotion i don't know that that's a completely fair assessment it's also super subjective i totally agree especially if you look at i imagine like her mom is really panicking and like this big reaction so you're seeing that juxtaposed up against his very calm demeanor although peterson initially said that he had spent the day golfing he later tells the police that he had actually gone to fish Peterson stated that he was fishing about 90 miles away from the couple's Modesto homes, and the detectives immediately start launching a search. They're looking through this park where they had walked through, and I will say that the police, based on Scott's inconsistency, they are 
their gut reaction is there's foul play somewhere here. You should always, and this is not me criticizing the police at all, we'll have plenty of time for that, but this is most of the time when a crime like this happens, it is the people closest to you. It's not some rando off the street. It's someone that you're intimately close with. So this is in my opinion, good policing on their part. Yeah, and within a few hours, like while they don't treat the case as suspicious just yet, that's right. within a few hours, like after the missing person's report was filed, they do start to turn through that. And I will say that Lacey's family immediately has Scott's back. They defend him. They don't feel like they have had any reason to suspect Scott. Especially recently, like her mom has turned quite the corner with him seeing this very different behavior than she saw in early 20s Scott. I just want to say that if any of my friends went missing, I am not going to believe any of their spouses. I'm going to immediately think that they're all guilty. Thomas did it. If I go missing, (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding, but not. (laughs) Oh, I mean, I told Thomas, I was like, Thomas, just so you know, I'm a 100% pointing the police in your direction. I will come at Chris. I'm doing it. I'm coming at you. He's taller than me. I'm, I'm pretty sure he could throw me across the room, but I'm going to try real hard. The search goes on for days, and they do begin to dive in the bay where Scott had been fishing, along with many searches of that park that we had talked about where Lacey normally walks the dog. And the media frenzy, we've talked about this before with John Bonet. In this Christmas time period, it's a slow pace. For the news article. And then you have this young, very beautiful, dark-haired, pregnant woman who goes missing. And literally the day after Christmas, like there are news vans. They're everywhere. They're all over the Petersons neighborhood. They're camped out like as early as like 5 or 6 a.m. Like some of the neighbors say like every single morning when they step out, there is a reporter that's right there reporting on the situation. And immediately, Nancy Grace comes out and points the finger at Scott. She's like, where's Scott? Nancy Grace did something sensational. Yeah, I'm I know. shocked. Shocked. <laughs> um, there's all sorts of opinions on this. <laughs> I know, I know. Whichever side of the aisle you land on, though, you know that she can be a little... It's funny that I think that people who probably disagree on whether or not Scott's guilty could probably agree on some things about Nancy Grace. I think you're probably right, Carla. Mm. I think that's a very astute observation. For whatever it's worth. (laughs) So I will say for some of the public appearances, like her family comes out. There's actually a really heartbreaking video of her dad, her stepdad, and her mom. And her dad is crying, like begging for somebody to give Lacey back. Um, It's really heartbreaking. Scott is really behind the scenes and does not want to be on camera. There's a couple of things to be said by that. Part of it is that he doesn't feel like he could do any good and he doesn't want it to be about him. He wants it to be about Lacey. And so he puts her family out in front. I think also you probably don't want to be in the spotlight if you've told this woman that you don't have a wife. Yeah, you know you've done something shady in the background. So beyond any altruistic motives, you have these other kind of less... Right. altruistic motives like, I'm for not also not wanting any of this to come out to be like well okay so this is separate from the fact that i didn't commit her murder but i might have done these other kind of awful things right <laughs> he has a few reasons to stay out of there the are some skeletons in that closet spooky season reference right. there yeah. <laughs> so in the first couple of sit downs with police scott tells investigators that they have a normal marriage and no issues and maybe that's true like to, to maybe the outsider to lacy like 
They don't have any issues. He remains very calm. He's actually agreeable. And I just want to do what, what needs to be done to find her. So I'm going to answer all of your questions. I'm going to tell you what you want to hear. And I just want to find her. So on December 30th, with widespread media coverage, his girlfriend realizes that Scott Peterson, the man that she has been dating, has a wife that is missing and she calls the police. From then on, she begins to act normal and she starts recording each of their conversations. I just want to put out again, that's on December 30th that she calls the police. With all this media attention, she realizes, oh shit, that's Scott Peterson and he actually was married and he has a wife that's missing. All those things that he starts to play that he has said starts to play in her mind. So she begins to work with the police on this. And I think for the police, they're like, this is the missing piece. Now we can understand the motive behind why he might have done something to his wife. I just, it's such a false equivalency to me. I get it. Cheater, liar, 100%. We have this phrase in our house where Thomas and I will ask each other, and this is really, you know, Thomas, the root of this, but I like this way of thinking, is it capital T true? Like, do you know it to be true or is it just the story that you're telling yourself right now? Because I will tell you, when I get in this situation where I'm feeling emotional about something and I smell some BS that may or may not be there, I'm automatically telling a whole fucking soap opera in my head about what happened and I think I've got the whole story pegged. But is it capital T true? And that's the question that we have here at hand. Again, December 30th, Amber Frey comes into it. December 31st, the police began announcing to the public that they suspect foul play in Lacey's disappearance. Hmm, I wonder what makes them think that. This is true because we know we have this recorded piece of it. It's really ugly. They have a candlelight visual for Lacey during this visual Scott would actually call Amber and pretend to be at that Eiffel Tower. Of course, she records the whole conversation and there's like people singing in the background and he's like making this excuse like, oh, there was this music playing. It's really what it's it's such a gross recording, especially knowing that you're at your missing wife and child's vigil from the beginning. Like Lacey's family stands behind Scott and they couldn't believe that he would have anything to do with her disappearance. They do say that on the surface that Scott's attitudes and questions about his grief, it's coming off weird even to them. Even they are starting to have a hard time with some of the things he does and some of his behaviors because it just doesn't feel as heavy as their grief or the way that they miss Lacey. The police do search his home, Scott's home. They also search his warehouse. And when I say warehouse, this is really like a glorified storage unit. So they searched it. Did they find anything? So there's almost no physical evidence that points to Scott. There are many inconsistencies and weird coincidences, but no hardcore evidence that was found. New Year 2003. Lacey's family continues to really push and try to find out like what happened. What is going on? And during this time, Scott's behavior just continues to be strange. He actually talks to a realtor about selling the house, even furnished. Lacey's mom calls him out on this. And she's like, what are you doing? Your wife's been missing for like barely a month. And you're trying to sell the house with all of her furniture in it, like with her baby crib. I, I think at this moment, she's really kind of like, is this real life? And Scott's like, oh, she wouldn't want to return to that. 
And so like this is that really strange behavior that her family is like really having a hard time getting past. What are you doing? He actually goes through and sells her Range Rover. First of all, I'm going to be so fucking pissed if I come back to life and my you've sold my car. Also, I realized that this was a successful small business, but she's got a Range Rover? Girl, okay. Right. At the end of January, it comes out publicly about the affair between Scott and Amber. And this was such a bombshell. It at the was time. a huge bombshell. And you can think so, December 30th to end of January. So, she's been recording his conversations for almost a month. I think for her family, it wasn't the affair, or at least they say that, right? It wasn't the affair mm. so much okay. as much as the fact that he said, I think it comes down to what he said, that this would be the first Christmas without his wife. That's right. So That's not a good look. No. So for her mother, right, who gave birth to this child, who has loved this child for her whole life, thinks my daughter was 33 weeks pregnant with your child. She has now been missing for a month. You have had an affair with somebody else. You have been aloof. You've had strange behaviors. You've sold her car. You're threatening to sell your house. I have hit my limit. I am no longer going to, I can no longer condone your behavior. And they don't. They immediately step back from Scott and now begin to really point the finger at Scott. After having defended him so fervently at the beginning. I think about it, I guess, as a mom. I know I felt very sympathetic for a mother because she's like, you did all, like my daughter went to that Christmas party like alone and pregnant. She was very upset at Scott and indignant in the way that he treated Amber. And it just was too much for them. That was like the straw that broke the camel's back. But hearing him have said that in this recording of, oh, it's my first Christmas. She's like, you've killed her. And to have it be out there for everyone to hear and know, right? Because this case was everywhere at the time. It it makes something that is already a really strong emotional trigger into something that just echoes. It magnifies it. It makes it exponential. I cannot even fathom being in Sharon's position. Yeah, and I know we're talking a little bit about the emotions, but these are some of the facts that came out. And the emotions go along with them, though. Yeah, this is why her family did step back. In January 28th, Scott claims in an interview that Lacey knew about the affair. Again, when we said from the beginning, like, this would play into part, and that Lacey was okay with it. Her family says, for whatever it's worth, that Lacey never mentioned it, nor do they believe. But would she, would you to your family? Like, oh, okay, again, I'm trying to put myself in those shoes, and I know couples that are in more open relationships. They're not telling mom and dad about that. No, but even her friends. Like, again, these are her okay. friends that she's had okay. since she was a little kid. So, like, that's where I would get it. Like, maybe I'm not going to I mean, I would never tell my mom because, first of all, my mom would never forgive that person again. Like, never, ever would she ever. She would always think they could be 80-something years old and she'll be like, remember that one time that you messed with my daughter? <laughs> that's what you get. That's right. So, no, I would never tell my mom. But that's my fair. best friend... I don't know. I probably would tell you guys. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, right, wrong, or otherwise, that is that is what he claims, and that's what her family claims. Next date of importance is February 10th. And I will say, like, from here, the dates start to move pretty quickly. February t- 10th was Lacey's due date, and her parents mm-hmm. begin again to, like, plead. They start looking at hospitals. Is there a baby that was turned in or something like that in hopes to find maybe Connor, if they can't find Lacey. 
February 18th, the police do another search of the home, and this time they remove 95 items. March 6th, Lacey's disappearance is officially declared a homicide. April 13th, I'm going to tell you a little story that her mom lays out in her memoir. After a business meeting, her stepdad was a big fisherman, and very often to deal with the stress, he'll go fishing after these meetings, and he does. He leaves his cell phone in his truck, and he goes out, and he says that he doesn't even fish. He just sits on the water and he prays and he says to God, I know that Lacey is dead, but please return her to us. Let us find out, like, let us find Lacey because my wife will have no peace if we don't find her. Oh my God. That's heartbreaking. I know. He says, please like bring Lacey and Connor home. That's all I would want in their position too. It's probably such a hard truth to say, I know she's gone. But please just bring her home. Like, please just return her to us. Let us have her body. Let us know that she's not just out there somewhere. I kid you not, he returns to his truck. And there are messages on the phone. And they had found a fetus. A couple had been walking along the shore in Point Isabel and had found a late-term male fetus. The following day, April 14th, A mile from where the fetus was found, a decomposed female body was found, even though Lacey's body was badly decomposed. And I'm not going to get into the graphic details of all of that. I just don't feel like it's necessary, but I will just say that like there was vital parts of her body that were missing. So she was very decomposed, but they do confirm that it's Lacey and Connor Peterson. Just less than one week after that, Scott Peterson would be arrested for their murder with the possibility of the death penalty. And this really would begin a very long and contentious court case that would put both of their families evenly squared at each other. Lacey's family would be allowed to to bury Lacey and Connor together. And they talked about having the celebration of life. They had it like in May, like at her birthday with family and friends and all of the guests would wear white and they would tell stories all through the day. And they said that while it couldn't be this like joyous moment and while they weren't happy necessarily through the day, they did spend that day holding one another and sharing really good moments late into the night, many glasses of wine and really like what Lacey would have wanted for Uh her. I love that they were able to put them together. I just have so many questions as to why they were found separately. Yeah, essentially, Scott would be charged guilty for both murders, and he would be sentenced to death by lethal injection in the state of California. California is definitely known for not using the death penalty. It also goes to state why 20 years later, he hadn't been put to death so that we could overturn it. Though it fits with just the drama that also is part of California. This is home of Hollywood. And I think that kind of big, kind of dramatic end to a trial makes sense. Uh, It does just seem in hindsight, though, with some of what we know now and some of what's coming to light. And part of the reason that we're talking about this today, it seems really weird that they jumped to that conclusion so quickly. Whether or not I feel some way, it, it is a very circumstantial case. That's right. And, and this is someone else's life. Like, yes, two lives have already been lost, and that is awful. It's tragic. The answer is not 
to put someone else to death unless you are 100% sure. I just want to end saying that Lacey clearly impacted the lives of everyone that she was around. Like they would tell stories though of those ladybugs and dragonflies that Lacey loved so much surrounding her loved ones. And actually there's a few feel-good stories about the prosecutors on that case and people who worked on that case against Scott Peterson, but for Lacey Peterson, about how they would find ladybugs in random places, like in the courtroom, that there shouldn't be ladybugs and that it never dawned on them until later on. It felt very, to her mom, very symbolic. So no matter who you think did this, someone did do something to Lacey and Connor. Lacey Peterson was a life gone way too soon. And this for sure is a story that haunted me then. It now haunted me going over it again. I actually had to go inside one night because it was just freaking me out too bad. All these years later, I'm very curious. What does everyone think about Scott? And do you think that he should get a new trial? I want to see all of it on our social media, right? Like I want to understand how people feel about this. I love what you said too just now, Carla. Regardless of how you feel about this, it is really important that we take a moment to honor the lost lives of Lacey and Connor Peterson and understand that had ripple effects that affected family and loved ones. Still today, right, as we're talking about this, there are still people grieving the loss of these two human beings, these two souls, these two lights that are gone from the world. That said, part of losing those people is seeking justice that comes with a, a horrific crime. So tell us what you think. We want to hear all about it. And next week, we're going to try to lay out for you some of the reasons that it might have been Scott Peterson and some of the reasons that maybe don't point to it being Scott. And Michael and Carla might fight. This is one of, <laughs> it is the first time that we've had such we a divergence and, <laughs> and opinion. But I think that's important too, right? Because yeah. part of at least my purpose for coming into something like true crime is that we are Part of being suspicious is being suspicious of both sides. It's, 100%. It's trusting your gut, but it's also questioning when you feel like some of that gut instinct is too emotional. So we can't wait to break it down to you next week. And until then, bye, bitches. Bye. Hey, you made it to the end of the podcast. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. And I know that we've given a lot of our unsolicited feedback, but at the end of the day, it's also important that we remember to stay kind, stay curious, but of course, stay nosy, bitches. bitches.